Turn your Bibles this evening to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. We are continuing our series. It's our Reflecting Christ. It's passages throughout the New Testament that, uh, and mostly the letters uh, of the New Testament, the epistles of the New Testament, where you have this idea of one another. Uh, we are reflecting things back to one another in a church body uh, that are just simply reflecting what Christ has done for us, uh, that uh, we are displaying uh, things going on there and reflecting it to others. And we've looked at a number of different uh, passages. In fact, last week we looked at uh, chapter 5, and there were four or five statements about one another, uh, but it just comes down to the fact that uh, we are called uh, to be individuals who are uh, not uh, devouring one another, verse 15, that we're not consuming one another, uh, but we are uh, individuals who are reflecting the love of Jesus Christ uh, in all that we do. Remember this, that uh, in connection to that, that as we look at our Bible, we have to remember that uh, our verse references and our chapter references didn't come uh, for many years after the letter was actually written. Uh, it was designed uh, by individuals in the church to be able to easily find uh, things. And so oftentimes we look at Galatians 5 and go, okay, that's one passage. Galatians 6, okay, that's another thing that Paul's dealing with. And, and you have to realize this, that in the letter itself, when Paul was writing, he was not breaking it up into sections like this. There was a free flow through of this letter, and sometimes it would do as well to just kind of read through letter, the letters like this without even really paying attention to the chapter references because of the fact that as we go through it, you're reading it like the original people would have read it. A letter, and it's uh, going through it, and they would have received it as a letter, and one thought would flow into another and would flow into another. Galatians chapter 6, uh, we had the discussion last week of looking at the things that are of the flesh. If we're living like the old man, the old person that uh, we were before salvation, uh, we're going to be doing certain works. Verse 19 displays the works of the flesh. But verse 22 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, if you're an individual who's saved, there ought to be these fruits that are coming in your life that weren't there before, that there's kindness and there's a gentleness that's being seen, a temperance, a, and all of these things. And then verse number one of chapter six makes this statement. It says this, brethren, brothers or sisters, uh, if a man be overtaken in a fault, Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But every, let every man prove his own work, then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another for every man shall bear his own burden. You find in this passage, and the, 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 the phrase of one another is found there in verse number two, that we're to bear one another's burdens. And we have to at least start off and explain that there's something that's almost contradictory on the reading of it initially. 
Because when you read bear one another's burdens, you go down to verse number five and it says, every man shall bear his own burden. It sounds like the Apostle Paul is contradicting himself with just in a few sentences of one another that we're supposed to help each other out with our burdens, but we're supposed to bear our own burdens. You have to understand the language of the Bible in the New Testament's Greek, and you have two different words for that word burden. The word burden in verse number two is a word describing something that is so heavy it can't be carried by a single individual. Example. Uh, We are, uh, in our household, individuals that typically will buy stuff that is uh, used. I mean, that's just the way we are. We don't buy things for full price, and so we'll uh, scavenge uh, Facebook Marketplace and and look through things like that to purchase things that we need for the house and the like. And one of the the purchases that we had that stands out in my mind is that we bought a piano. Uh, This is when Grace was first starting, and we had her on this little keyboard, and and we saw that there was a piano available for $100. That should have been a tip-off to us right from the start. Uh, that it might not be something we want to grab immediately, but uh, it said $100, and so we went and looked at it, and it was an an upright grand, which an upright grand is a grand piano that is standing upward, not flat like this. And we opened the lid, the lid on the inside, inside said 1910. Now, I come to the conclusion later that either 1910 meant the year that it was made or that was the weight of the piano. <laughs> um, not sure, there was no defining thing on there, but I'm not sure. But <clears throat> we went, looked at it, and we agreed that we would buy it. It was over in Joliet, and I needed help because I wasn't going to move that thing myself. So in my wisdom... As a young man, I went and got three junior hires to help me, eighth graders, to help me move a piano. The piano had to move out of a building. It was three steps out of the house. Then you had to get it back up into a truck. We actually got a truck with a ramp and everything, but you had to somehow get it up there. And um, I couldn't have moved it myself, but we were close to me moving it myself uh, when we got it out of the steps and slid that thing down and got it into the house. And, and uh, in our house, which had two steps to get up into the house uh, itself, when we finally got it inside, we left it in the location that we got it at because I wasn't about to move the thing again. We eventually got a different piano for Grace. Uh, Mr. Shaleen uh, found one of the deals that can't be resisted that was so great, and so we got a different piano, and we actually got somebody to move that piano in, but we still had the old piano. And we had to get rid of it, so we put it on, I wasn't Facebook Marketplace, I think it was Craigslist or something like that, that we put it on. And somebody came along and said, oh, our children are going to, are playing the piano. And we said, well, this is a good starter piano and the like. And, and um, he said, how much? And we told him how much. And then he said, well, I'll have to get some friends together. Well, he was smart. 
He actually bought, brought three grown men with him to move it, but even then they couldn't move it. And I can remember when we had the movers come in to bring our other piano, the, the professional movers. I remember them going by and looking at that piano and going, oh, I'm glad we're not moving that. I was like, really? He said, yeah, you'll hear words you don't want to hear uh, and those type of things because those are not easy pianos to move. It's easier to move a grand like this than an upright grand. He goes, we're glad we're not having to move it. And I can remember uh, that these individuals, the four men that moved it out, were completely you know, trying to figure out how to get it out of the house and slide it out and trying to get the thing picked up and get it into the vehicle that they had. And they eventually did. Okay. That's the kind of burden that we're talking about. When we move the piano off the stage here, it's not one person that moves it. You have four or five or six guys that take that piano off. You go, why? Because it's a burden that a single individual can't bear. That's what that word is in verse 2. Verse 5, when you read the statement, let every man bear his burden that word is comparable and you could just write off to the side it was used in ancient literature to describe the backpack of a soldier guess what when you're a soldier and you have a backpack you don't get to hand it off to somebody else or you don't have other people carrying it for you you carry your own backpack and that's the word there. There are certain things in life that we ought to carry ourselves, certain responsibilities that only we can take up. You know, you think about in a home uh, as a father. My responsibility is to be a father. No one else should be the father. You know, that's a responsibility that's mine. And the Lord gives us grace to be able to handle those things. And we have responsibilities in life that you just go through that we ought to be taking up. If you're a person who is taking up everybody's time with responsibility that we could take ourselves, you're failing in that verse in verse 5. If you're not willing to take up the simple things of life that are our responsibility, the backpack type of things, you're failing in that passage. But in this passage, it's not so much that that is being emphasized. It is this burden that seems to be uh, one that a person cannot carry on their own and take care of on their own. You go, what's that burden? Now, there are a lot of things in life that we can think are burdens that are really too heavy for a single person to bear. Okay, the loss of a loved one. That's a great burden to bear. And hopefully we come alongside individuals and strengthen them in a time where that is a burden really beyond what they can handle. Um, there are other things that happen that are, are tragedies that uh, in a church body that we just naturally will come alongside and help that person carry the burden. Not that we're going to carry it ourselves or anything like that, but we ought to come alongside and help them but the specific burden that the apostle paul is saying that is weighty that it's going to require others to come in is found in verse number one and it's this statement brethren if a man be overtaken in a fault you say what's this you've got someone who has sinned the, the terminology there, if a man be overtaken in a fault, that word overtaken is the word that uh, was used to describe thieves 
pouncing upon the man going from Jerusalem to Jericho and the story of the Good Samaritan. The thieves come out of the hills there and they, they jump him and beat him up and leave him alongside the road. And in this case, you have, it can be a man or a woman, it doesn't matter, but somebody who's a Christian, and you find that they have been, what, overtaken by sin? Overcome by sin? I mean, for all of us, we don't go around intentionally, uh, hopefully, as Christians going, I'm going out to sin today. I mean, that, that's usually not our perspective on life. In fact, we know in our souls there's things that are right, there's things that are wrong, uh, and we know this, and kind of as a general thing, as a, a believer, you're going, I'm not going to go out and intentionally sin, though I have a flesh that's saying uh, it would love to. I understand in my own soul, I understand what's pleasing to God. We don't normally go out looking for sin. Sin comes looking for us. And it's not to say that we can't we we blame other things for sin. You know, you had as I some of you are old enough to remember him. I've just heard clips of him, uh, the comedian uh, that went around and said this: "The devil made me do it." The devil doesn't make you do anything. He's the one who just merely suggests things in your ear, uh, in your soul, uh, that he suggests things, and and we take him up on it. But we don't, hopefully, as Christians, go around looking for sin to do it. But the reality is, is we are going to sin. And some of those sins are going to be not, how do I say this, are ones that are going to affect more than just the individual themselves. It's actually going to affect a whole lot of other people. Perhaps there are individuals in an area of responsibility and what they do uh, has an effect on others around them or what they've done actually hurts somebody else. But here you have a situation like that. I mean, hopefully we as individuals realize that we can in one way um, take care of sin. I tell people, keep short accounts with God. You go, what does that mean? Well, you keep short accounts. You come to God and you recognize, listen, I failed here. And you go to him and just simply say, uh, I am confessing that, recognizing that that's my, uh, that is not right. Uh, I know that Jesus Christ died to save me from that. And Lord, forgive me and give me help that I don't repeat that. I mean, that, that, that's what we're allowed to do. That should be happening. But there are situations that, it's going to take a little bit more than somebody just merely coming along and saying, oh, well, uh, you know, I'm sorry for this. It's going to take others coming along to help. You say, well, who's allowed to come along and help in a situation like this where an individual has sinned in such a manner that it's affecting and hurting and uh, doing damage in a, on a large scale Who's supposed to come along and help? Well, Paul gives the, the answer here. Ye which are spiritual. Now, we've seen that term spiritual tossed around before. If we went through 1 Corinthians a couple years ago, and there were people in the church at Corinth that were calling themselves spiritual. And you go, well, what were they defining as being spiritual? Well, they had certain gifts 
Back in the, the uh, ancient church, you had the gifts of prophecy and the gifts of tongues, uh, speaking in tongues. They're no longer available at this point. But back then they had this and there were individuals in the church that were going, well, we can speak in tongues. You can't. We're spiritual. You're not. You go, that's a, a false standard of spirituality, spiritual standing. You go, well, who are individuals that are spiritual? We got to go back to the beginning of the sermon. Realize that we do have some context of who is spiritual. Go back to the previous chapter and you have uh, individuals that are displaying the fact that they are, verse number 16, walking in the Spirit, that they're living out what their profession is. Day by day, step by step, they're living this way and they're not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And you say, well, what does it look like when a person is this way? Well, verse number 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. Do you realize in occasions in your life, you, you know this is where you're at. You're, you're walking and going, I'm displaying Christ, and there's a love for Him, and there's a fervency, and there's a desire to serve Him, and you're seeing these things in your life. Okay, that's what we mean by spiritual. You're walking, as uh, some term it, walking with the Lord. There's nothing between you and the Savior. You're, you're doing the things that you should in, in general, and you're looking at life, and, and uh, you could be just simply described as one who's reflecting those characteristics. Well, what are you, what are you supposed to do? Well, if you're in that kind of state where you're walking with God and you're reflecting His character and you see somebody in the congregation who is just battling with this sin or has had a, an issue with this, it's your responsibility to come alongside and help them make this right. The word uh, is you have this, if a man be overtaken in a fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. This is what you're doing. Your job is to restore relationships, whether it be with God or with other individuals, you have a responsibility to help with this. That word restore is a, a very colorful word in, in uh, the ancient language. It was used to describe a number of different things uh, in that world. It was used to describe uh, the mending of a net. Same word was used back in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 21 to describe uh, the disciples uh, that were with their uh, families there along the beach and they're mending their nets. You say, why did they mend their nets? Well, if you had the netting and it had openings in it, you wouldn't catch fish. So what you would have to do is work at retying much of the, the stringing and the netting that was there and you would have to do this and go through this and then it would be effective again. A net with holes in it wasn't effective, wasn't useful. And so what you're doing is restoring the usefulness of that net. What believers are supposed to do is help restore the usefulness of other believers. And you go, this is sometimes not the easiest thing. It's not. 
I mean, it's easy to understand this passage, but going through this process is not easy. You have in Matthew 18, it's oftentimes the passage that's described as the church discipline passage. In 1 Corinthians 5, it's described that way. Uh, and it does have that uh, idea behind it, but the whole process as you find out in reading those passages is that it is to restore or reconcile individuals to one another. But it's not easy initially. Why? Because when you read those passages in Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5, there's the responsibility of those that are spiritual to go to the one that's in open sin. And you say, why is that so difficult? Because you have to confront somebody and say, listen, you're not doing right. And how many individuals love being told, you're not doing well, you're not doing right? We oftentimes are afraid of what the response of those people are going to be when we come to them and they're, they, they're doing something to destroy the testimony of their family, the church, whatever they're doing. And you go to them and going, this isn't right. You aren't expecting them to give you a hug and say, thank you. Human reaction is for people to put up their defenses and to come alongside an individual and just simply say, what you're doing is not good. We don't like that. Our human nature is to shy away from the things like that. We're afraid of what the response might be from the individual. But if we're, we're looking at the fact that God is attempting uh, through us to reconcile and restore individuals to right relationships, we're doing the very work of Christ. Think about what Christ did. He came into this world to die to reconcile us to God the Father. If He hadn't come in and done the hard work, you say, what was the hard work? Dying on a cross. And coming into this world to rescue individuals in some cases that didn't realize they needed rescuing from their sins. If he hadn't done the hard work, there would have been no hope for us to be reconciled to God. Well, in our lives, what are we supposed to do? Reflect that where we're attempting to reconcile other people, restore relationships of other people to other people, and restore relationships that they may have no, no longer with God in the sense that they have uh, fled from Him or are ignoring Him. And you're saying, you need to get back to where you were before. You need to be in a right relationship with God. I mean, this is not an easy thing to do. But it's required of all of us. Now, I, I have to remind individuals, it's not saying ye which are spiritual. That means the pastor. Because the pastor, when he usually enters into a situation, it's really gotten bad. It could have been solved a whole lot earlier by an individual that knows that person well and just comes alongside of them and goes, I'm here to help. You're not seeing things. Uh, as pastor, there have been multiple occasions in ministry where you have to come in and just step into a situation. You have a, 
a father who has uh, given up his responsibility for his family. In fact, uh, they feel threatened by him. What do I have to do as a pastor? I've got to go in and talk to the children. Talk to the wife. And especially admonish the father. And it takes time. And a pastor can do that, but as individuals, as believers, you're equipped just as much as a pastor is because you have the Spirit of God in you and you can do some of those very same things in helping out a situation like that where you can restore relationships that aren't where they're supposed to be at. You can do it. Okay? This, isn't, this isn't a passage for the elite. This is the passage of everyday Christianity doing what it should be doing. So when you have this, brethren, brothers and sisters, if a person is overtaken in a fault, they've fallen into sin. And, and realize this, it's a sin. It's not, okay, you, you chose something that I wouldn't choose. You know, you went to the restaurant and you chose that food. I don't think that's the best kind of food. You know what? And, and, you know, we're not, we're not fixing personal preferences. Okay, that's not the issue here. It's actually you've got sin going on here. Okay? We're not trying to fix people's personal preferences that they match with ours. You know, they like the color blue now because we forced them to like the color blue because we like the color blue. No, that, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the fact someone's in sin. We're trying to restore relationship with God and with others. But as you look at this, it says this, that you restore such in one that you go about trying to reconcile, make the relationships right. And you do this in a spirit of meekness. Now, that word meekness, remember this, it's not talking about somebody who's weak. Okay, meekness is, or weakness is meekness, or meekness is meekness, however you want to say that. That's not synonymous, okay? Meekness has the idea of one who's in a position of strength, but is able and comes alongside things that are weaker than them. Um, it, it could be illustrated this way. When you think of that term meekness, uh, you can think of a 2,000-pound horse and a 50-pound kid. And you say, what is that horse able to do? That horse could run, buck, stomp on that 50-pound uh, child and be able to do that. But what you have with the horse is that its strength has been put under control. And what does it allow itself to do? It allows itself at times to be at the, you know, the petting zoo and it's being marched around and it has this child on the back and whatever, and it's okay with that. Even though it has the strength to break that child. And you can say that horse is meek. And you're not talking about its strength. It's talking about that it's got a submission or a, an attitude that is correct. That's the right kind of attitude. So it is when it comes to a situation like this where we're an individual that sees someone has fallen into sin and they are just you know, going the wrong way and life is not uh, going to go well for them in relationships and with God. If they continue in that path and you enter into this, you don't come into this and go, well, I'm superior to them. 
But at this point, I'm doing well enough to be able to confront them. You know, I'm not coming at them, and you had the situation in Matthew chapter 7, where, or 6, if I remember correctly, where an individual comes to confront somebody else, and the ridiculous illustration is this, the person comes along and says, you've got a, a speck in your eye. And yet the person has a beam, a log coming out of their eye, and they're dealing with this person who has a speck. And the Lord says, listen, before you go and try and help somebody else, take care of your own sins before you deal with things and other individuals. Well, if you're in that situation where you are uh, one who is walking with God and that you're reflecting the fruits of the Spirit and that, that you're, you're doing what is right... You come alongside of the person and you're in a position of strength. What you're able to do is you're in the position that can actually help pull them up. You, you've got that capability and you do this remembering this. And this is how Paul ends that verse. He says this, Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Do you realize that you may be in the situation eventually of what this person is in? They've fallen into sin. Well, guess what? You are probably going to fall into sin, and you're not going to be in the position of strength, but you certainly hope that someone in a position of strength will come alongside and grab you and help pull you up, get you back to where you need to be at, get you to where you need to be, and you hope that they do this. And that's the attitude. It's understanding... I'm doing this in humility, understanding I may very well be the person who will eventually find myself being helped up by others when I have fallen into sin. And for us, as uh, we look at this, we also have to be uh, very concerned about this, and this is a, a thing that is uh, a concern, is that you don't involve yourself in the sin itself. We have enough situations where uh, I, you hear about this even in, in pastoral situations where you have an individual who's been involved in immorality and the pastor comes alongside and tries to help them and they themselves as the pastor end up getting involved in the situation. You go, well, what, what are you thinking there? A pastor is counseling and going, oh, this will never happen to me and I'm okay and they go into the situation really almost blind and they find themselves in the very same situation. So the consideration here is, yes, I may be in this situation, and I've got to beware, I'm just like this person. I'm not a you know, super flesh or anything like that. I'm the same type of personality. I could fall into this sin. And I could have this happen to me. And there's a humility, a meekness. You're in the position of strength at that time, but there's a humility and understanding. I could be in this position as I go in there to help this person out. And, you know, I don't want to fall into this sin. I can wear my own flesh. But I'm also going, uh, I could be in a situation like this later on. And I trust that this person would come alongside and be willing to help me when they're doing well, when they're doing what's right. And so when you get to verse number two, and it says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, you go, well, what is the law of Christ? 
And you think through this, what's the law of Christ? The law of Christ is that uh, simply this, as you look at verse number 14 of uh, Galatians chapter 5, it says this, for the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You know, why do you do this? Why are you trying to help people in their spiritual condition at times when they've fallen? It's because you love them. You're reflecting the love of Christ and thus you're actually fulfilling the law. When you think about what the Ten Commandments are and you read through them, there's two elements of the command that the Lord broke out when He was explaining the Ten Commandments. And He said, the, the law is simply this, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy mind, and, and all thy strength. And you go, what's the second part of the Ten Commandments? You read it, you get down to the end of the commandments, and it's love thy neighbor as thyself. And when you come along an individual and try and help and restore them, you're fulfilling the law because what you're trying to do is to get them to love their God as they should and for them to love others and sacrifice and do what's right for others, the sake of others. And that you will, and coming alongside and helping them carry some of the burdens and solving some of the situations, you may have to be the go-between to help individuals be restored to relationship with one another that has been marred by sin. And you may have to come alongside and help them out, but why do you do it? Because we're fulfilling the law of Christ. And that's that we love one another, just as Christ loved us. I mean, we need to beware. Verse 3, if any man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Sometimes we come into the situation and go, wow, we're really spiritual and this person's just a, sin, you know, a great sinner and that's why i got to help him out. No, we remind ourselves as we go into it, I'm a sinner just like they are. Thankfully, I'm a saved sinner. Jesus Christ has rescued me for eternity. Uh, and that, I'm not really you know, all that impressive because I had to be rescued by whom? The Savior Himself. And so for us, uh, this is easy to understand that we come alongside individuals and we help them to get into right relationship with other people when they sin and get into right relationship back with God that they, they are no longer running from God, but they enjoy being in His presence and hearing His Word and delight in that, and they just enjoy that. But it's going to take some hard work on our part. And so a passage like this, is, it's, it's one of the easiest passages to explain. But as believers, it's one of the toughest ones to do. And I, I trust that uh, we would be, uh, as we're a part of this church, that we're willing to be individuals that if we are ones that are going off into sin and it's obvious that we're going our own way and we're not repenting of it, that we'd be willing to allow members of the congregation to just kind of go, hey, you're not doing right. And we would take that kind of challenge well, realizing that they're doing it out of love for us, a love for God, and that we would at times do and take up the work even though it's not easy and come alongside somebody and help them be what they ought to be even though they're not at that time. And so uh, I trust that uh, we look at this passage, it's one for good consideration that we're reflecting Christ, His ministry of reconciliation. 
but it is something that we need to be doing, but hopefully we don't have to do it a whole lot because we in general are ones who are living a life that's pleasing to Him. We're seeing the fruits of the Spirit and that uh, we see those things. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. This is a part of just being a a part of church life that uh, we sometimes need somebody to point out we're not doing well. In fact, we're sinning. We're we're going our own way. We're we're not reflecting what is your character in the Scripture. And and, uh, we're not doing that. And and we at times need individuals just to come alongside and, and help us see those things. Lord, uh, may we be a, a, a body of believers that are willing to, to have others help us at times and that we would uh, also be at other times when we're doing well spiritually, that we'd be willing to take up the ministry of helping others, pulling them up, helping them uh, get to where they need to be at and, and come alongside of them. So Lord, help us to be a church that's like that. It's this kind of ministry that bears long-term fruit. The battles and the difficulties that uh, you go through together as a ministry and as individuals uh, brings you in closer relation to one another. And so, Lord, help us to, to be willing to help each other when we fall. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.